Hi everyone, we are back here on the Crash Couch, Random Chatters podcast for The Expanse. After a brief hiatus, uh, we are back from Star Wars Celebration. We being myself and my co-hosts, Eric and Lou, have you guys recovered yet? After a harrowing journey into the depths of the Southeast United States. I don't think Florida is part of the southeast, though. It's kind of it's you don't separate. get any further southeast than Florida. <laughs> yeah, but that I is literally the, the most southeast. They even made a peninsula in the state to make it further southeast. <laughs> yeah, but I think the southeast kind of disavows any knowledge of Florida as part of their own grouping. If you know what I mean. Well, maybe the rest of it does, but it's still as southeast as you can get. I mean, there's not. True. They don't it, really it get a say in it. South. It's just it's a geographical fact. Anyways, yeah, we just got back from the big Star Wars convention out there, and we've got a lot of stuff we're going to be covering on our uh, Star Wars shows, such as Echo Base. So uh, if you're a Star Wars fan and not already listening to those shows, check out Echo Base at randomchatter.com. We're going to have a lot of stuff. Have a lot of stuff there. And I got to say, the convention was exciting, and there was a lot of cool stuff there, but there was nothing about the Expanse. Yeah, unfortunately. Sadly, yes. Someday. Someday there will be an expanse convention. You know, it's funny you say that because literally, literally the entire time at celebration, I was thinking to myself, "Man, I'd be enjoying myself a lot more if this was the expanse." You know, it's a little bit harder because I think it's easier to have conventions when there's a lot of fantasy elements. Yeah, and one of the cool things about the expanse is how rooted in reality it is. But then. Because of that, it doesn't open itself up quite as easily for convention type stuff because because it is so rooted in reality. I mean, you could do a convention, and I'm sure there will be some some day, but I think it's going to be a different type of convention. I think right now it's really going to be riding New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con quite a bit. Sure, but if we did one, we could have it at like Cape Canaveral. There you go, because it would fit right in. Or Connecticut, because then two of the three of us wouldn't have to drive. That's or fly. a good point. That's yeah. a good point, yeah. too. I like, I like that. Yeah, Connecticut. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> wow. We better get on with the show. <laughs> yeah, probably. So uh, I before we start, I just want to say that uh, it's currently 9.53 p.m. We're recording this on April the 18th. Uh, I've been up almost 24 hours at this point. Um, just a little under that. I've been up since 2.30 a.m. this morning. Because somebody so, had to go to Disney. Yes, I did have to go to Disney. Whose fault is so, that? So, um, I'm a little, little tired right now. So if I seem a little drowsy, that's why. And I will hopefully be able to rely on my two co-hosts for the, uh, bulk of the for, discussion. For the content. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this will be the episode in which Chris falls asleep at the wheel. Probably. Literally. Literally. Yes. And, and, you know, it, it's funny because I was thinking earlier, man, I really wish that I had a couch that I could crash on. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, he is yeah. tired. He made a pun. <laughs> I've been waiting to make that all day. Wow. Funny enough, I thought I, I was watching um, last week's episode because I'm just now catching up uh, on my phone at the airport this morning on my layover at like four o'clock. And I thought of it then. I was like, oh, I got to remember in my drowsy state to uh, to say that on the podcast tonight. 
Wow. Yeah, you've been trying hard at that one. Mm-hmm. And it shows. It shows. So, speak- <laughs> so speaking of last week's episode, uh, obviously we did not get to record uh, something for that one because um, we were traveling. So rather than split up two episodes, we decided that we are going to just talk about the finale as well as the episode before um, on this podcast. So this will be for The Monster and the Rocket as well as Caliban's War. So, I have some thoughts. Um, you better get them out now before you fall asleep. I know, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'll be honest. I, it took me like a span of like five days to watch The Monster and the Rocket. And I really enjoyed it. But I kind of forgot some of the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Is that bad? <laughs> uh, it's only bad if you were going to do a podcast about it. Yeah, then, then it would be bad. Well, that's okay because you have Lou and I. Yeah, and, uh, I can. Re- I, we can again, help out. I can rely on you both. Of course, I, I have no anyone. voice anymore because I was shouting over top of the convention and then trying to entertain people at our meetups. So, yeah, I, I, by rapping, I'm either going to do the Barry White thing. Or I'm going to do the cracking voice thing throughout the podcast. <laughs> I don't know which yet, but we'll find out. I only rapped once, and it was under duress. That is it was true. twice. It was actually four the first times. time was under duress. The second time you literally really enjoyed it. No, I enjoyed torturing. Like I didn't understand how torturous <laughs> it was going to be, and so then I'm like, "Oh yeah, I could do this." Yeah, but Dude, that's you okay. were we, so into it. We you were enjoying it. I don't know about that, but we uh, we do remember, I think, enough about the penultimate episode mm-hmm. to be able to help cover for you, Chris. Good. I think. All right, so uh, the penultimate episode, to to recap, the main things were that um, you had uh, Holden and Alex were hunting the, what are we calling this thing? The proto-monster? Yeah, proto-molecule monster. Okay. Proto-monster is shorter. Too many syllables in proto-molecule monster. Call call the PM. The PM. They were hunting the PM. On the surface of Ganymede. Meanwhile, Naomi and um, Amos were trying to evacuate. They were back at the ship that they took in uh, with the lady whose husband they got shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were trying to evacuate a bunch of people. But then the air scrubbers malfunctioned and they could only bring out like maybe half of the group. And the group was rioting and Naomi was trying to save everybody. And Amos and the captain of the ship were just trying to get somebody out and in that case it was going to be only themselves because if they opened the door to anybody then everybody would have tried to crowd in meanwhile avasarala and bobby are back on earth and uh aaron wright is uh um creating various different machinations in the background to maneuver himself into a good position while avasarala goes out to meet with mao and while meeting with mao uh, Aaron Wright contacts them and says, listen, uh, I just killed the only other dude involved here. So it's just me. So you're going to do what I say. And what I say is get back to work right now. And that screws everything up between Mao and Avasarala. And now Avasarala is uh, basically all but taken hostage. Right. The one thing I think I want to clarify there. um, she went to go meet with Mao because 
Mal finally was caving into the pressure she was putting onto him and his family. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's when all hell breaks loose when uh, Aaron Wright kills off the uh, you know the Mars guy there, and yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. in o- in other words, what you're saying is that Aaron Wright is kind of like uh, Palpatine from Star Wars. Oh, you know, maybe political um, maneuverings to get where he wants to he, be. I don't think, I don't think he's, he's, not, he's not that evil. That brilliant that far either. in advance. Yeah, right, exactly. right. I think he he was basically screwed, and then he saw yeah, an opportunity. At the beginning, yeah, go ahead, Lou. I was just saying at the beginning of the episode, he was ready to go to jail. Right. Yeah. I mean, he was like saying goodbye to his kid. He was saying, you know, hey, all this stuff is, you know, how am I going to save myself? And she's like, you know, just come clean, just say everything, and. I'll support you, and we'll try to get you, you know, a lighter sentence or something, you know. But um, and he really you know, makes he you gonna... sympathize with him. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, he was trying to do the right things for Earth, even though they were horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. So that's... he he was under the belief that Mao was creating this weapon for him and Earth, and then he finds out that Mao is kind of double dealing and selling it to. The you know, Martians on the side and all kinds of good stuff. Well, mm-hmm. I got to say, getting rid of the other buyer is uh, is an effective way of negotiating. It's a good way to limit the uh, the options of sale. Yeah, yeah. And I did like the way he um, you know he did it too. They had kind of played the whole thing out. He slipped something into his drink that was like uh, you know bioweapon targeted to somebody's genetic structure. I was like, that's pretty (laughs) high-tech. Right. Hey, that sort of thing is actually being worked on right now. That's real technology. That's scary. It is. It really is. Uh, So anyway, so that's basically what happened in the penultimate episode. Mm -hmm. So do we want to talk about that a little bit? Or do we want to talk about... Okay. I I have some words about about Naomi. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked that that her character was finally, I don't want to say finally, because it's not like the, this is the first time it's happened, but I like that she was given some room to grow as a character, and we kind of not necessarily see her backstory, um, but I feel like, and I might be wrong here, but I feel like we're starting to see some um, some of her pre-season one ambitions and personalities start to show up a little bit more, um, and I like that we're kind of diving deep and deeper into her as a character rather than just know her as, you know, j- just another like badass member of the crew. Right. Um, I, I think it's, it's interesting the, the uh, situation that she was put in and the fact that, you know, there was a point where she was ready to just give up her own, um, her own place on the ship for that other guy was to me was, it was heroic in a sense. Um, and it was also um, not sacrificial, but it, it just goes to show the type of person she is and the type of person person that she's become in the past two seasons. So I, I just I thought it was a it was a fresh it was a fresh change of pace. I I agree to an extent, Chris, but I also think that it felt as if um I don't know how to word this, but it was never really going to happen. You know, there was nothing in my mind led me to believe that 
yeah, she's really going to stay behind and kill herself to let these other people survive. Okay, but to be fair, they just killed off Miller. To the people who have not read the books, there's no reason to think that as season two is coming to a close that they might not also kill off Naomi. You and I know that they didn't because we've read the books. Yeah, it's true. But I I was trying to think about this aside from what we know from the books, but it didn't feel like, you know, it, it just didn't seem, I don't know. It seemed like they always setting this up to have that scenario happen where... Oh, I'm going to give up my seat. No, we're going to go anyways. I'm going to save you and, and yeah. do your thing. You know, it felt too TV-ish to me. It didn't feel like it was written real well. Right. I, I think for me, the the what'll happen question was really more about whether or not anybody else would get saved rather than whether Naomi would stay behind. I agree with you. There was no reality in which uh, the writers were going to allow Naomi to stay behind. It was really just a question of... Are the people going to get saved or are they not going to get saved? Yeah, you're right. That's a better question. I wasn't even thinking about that, but that's a great way to put it. That was what, you know, how many people, if any, get saved? They already said they couldn't take on the, what, 300 or whatever it was. They could only do 54 or 52 of them based on the air supply. And, you know, that made the numbers even less. And they said, no, we can't open the door at all. So now they're all going to die. And right. yeah, that, that's where the tension was. You're right. But I never felt like Naomi was really going to give up her life. Now, what I thought was going to happen, honestly, was that uh, nobody else was going to get saved, and it was going to be this this hard lesson about, yeah, you know, it the inevitability of the human condition and the desire to survive overruling everything else, and the realization that Naomi has to come to that you can't always be the hero and you can't always save everybody, and that at least this way, some people were able to get out as opposed to them opening the doors, there being a riot and all of them dying and zero people getting out. But I like, I like the way that they spun the, the way that belters look at survival because it is different from people living on a rock. The belters have this different philosophy of life and it was nice to see as much as the belters have kind of been the bad guys in the past with some more of the, uh, you know, the extremists exercising terrorist activity, it was nice to see some some good morality choices by the belters and showing they're not, you know, there are there are belters who get it. Like it's I, I like the separation between the belters and the OPA. And I think the more that we can get into that, the better it is because then we go back to having three different factions that are all truly communities of people as opposed to being portrayed as um, just uh, a terrorist organization. And and I like mm-hmm. that. I don't like OPA equating to belters. And sometimes yeah. that, that I, perception I think has been, has been uh, come across. So I, I, I can I see like that. This. I liked how they portrayed this. I never got the sense that Naomi was necessarily going to die. I think, killing off one main character is enough for this season. Um, I I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if another main character got killed off, but it, I, I feel like given how little we know about the show so far, I, I think that it would... Oh, Chris, would surprise you don't watch me, enough but Game of would. Thrones. You don't watch enough true. Game of Thrones. That is true. <laughs> If only you knew. No, you're right. It, it was, yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I never really thought Naomi was going to 
was going to get scrubbed out. It it was nice to see that tension though, um, and it was it was one one thing that I like about this show so much is that it it never it's not afraid to ignore the cliches and because you know we we all expect in those really dire situations to see like a happy ending and we kind of get that with um the finale which i'm sure we'll get to later with holden but um i don't know it's just normally as we saw with miller you know people were I, mean, I was expecting him to just get off the station you know fine and mm-hmm. find julie and have that whole thing that whole arc end but obviously he didn't so um and that's one thing that i would like to see the expanse explore further maybe not killing off all the main characters <laughs> but it would be nice to see um you know them continue to uh not rely on every single tv cliche to get them through so you know something else that is interesting in my opinion where they break away from television cliches look what naomi does to amos in this episode we we have this these four people oh, yeah. come from different backgrounds and then they become a family and they have to rely on each other to survive and yet they still have these different oppositional philosophies on how things should be done and there have been cases where pretty much everybody on this ship at some point has taken some kind of drastic action to do what they truly believe is the right thing at the expense of other people. Holden, there's all kinds of examples. Amos, there's the example at, at a minimum where he puts the gun to the back of Holden's head early on in, I think, episode three and looks at Naomi and says, you know, say the word. Mm-hmm. And then um, now we have Naomi... Basically, you know, she knocks Amos out in order to get what she wants because she knows that Amos will prevent her from doing it physically. So and and by doing so, here's the thing. It's not just knocking him out to go do the thing. It's knocking him out so that she can go do the thing that could kill her and him. Like the consequences, Mm -hmm. if she's wrong on this gamble. Right. Are fatal. And she's willing to gamble not only her own life, which is heroic, but his life, which now you get kind of a little bit more into a, a moralistically gray area. And and so that's something I love when this show does. But so here's my question. We have a situation now with Alex and uh, Holden. And Holden is giving Alex orders that are obviously the wrong thing to do and will obviously get them killed so that Holden can continue on this overly emotional vendetta that he's on. And Alex is the only one thinking in his right mind and thinking clearly and coherently about this. And yet Alex caves and does the whole following orders from the ship captain thing. And and I, I'm sitting there watching this and I think that that was the one character moment where I was really conflicted because yeah, you know, I'm I'm former military and I understand following orders. But then you've also got the situation where well they're not really I mean they're they're you follow a military structure but you're not really military. He could go and do what he knows to be both the right and the correct thing despite Holden. But he doesn't because it's his captain telling him to do something, which is also 
you know, maybe it's the wrong thing and the correct thing. So there are two things that are correct, but not two things that are right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, again, it was kind of this weird situation where it's, well, what should Alex have done? And now Alex ended up doing things skillfully enough that it turned out okay. But he probably would have been right in uh, doing the other thing in the first place. But to me, especially after seeing Holden's done it, Naomi's done it, Amos has done it, Alex is is still doing, you know, the, the following the orders thing. You know, wh- when is he going to step up and put his foot down and actually follow through with the, no, I know that I'm doing the right thing and you can take your orders and shove it? Or will mm-hmm. there ever be that moment? That's, to me, that's something that's fascinating about Alex. And so later when you do the live tweet thing, Chris, mm-hmm. I want you to point out that I said that, and I want to see what uh, Cass's take on that is. Okay. Because I know he interacts with the tweets and stuff. He retweeted, uh, he tweeted back to you earlier today, actually, about your Disney World thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to see if he responds to that, because I want to know how he feels about the the decision his character made in that moment. Okay. Now, Sounds hopefully like <laughs> you're you're hopefully you're awake enough that later when you're retweeting you remember that I asked you that. But I don't know, to yeah. me like it, it's a little thing, but it was also a very intense moment and uh, again, it's I mean everybody watching knew that that was the wrong thing to do. And yet Alex did mm-hmm. it and he pulled it off, so maybe it was the right thing after all. I don't know. Was was Holden right or was Alex right? Which one? What I like to think is that um, part of Alex's character to me is that he, even if he knows the decision might be the wrong one or, or, the, or the least logical one, somehow he always makes things work. And I, I at this point, I sort of assign him as that at, at that character trait that he um, can pull himself out of a bad situation if he needs to, right. and that you can rely on him. He's the Han Solo of the group. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really is. I mean, he's the expert pilot. He's the guy that you know survives despite all the odds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, too, you harken back to earlier in the season where he's having that conversation with Amos. And he's saying, you know, listen, you might be the bodyguard here when we're in, we're docked somewhere. But I'm the one that keeps you guys alive out there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no less a bodyguard than you are. I'm no less the muscle than you. You rely on me to stay alive. Yeah. And we see that over and over again. And I think that's something that Alex kind of has this sense of I've got to to take care of the people around me, which Mm -hmm. both means that a, he needs to do the right thing in situations like this when Holden's going off on some emotional witch hunt. But then on the flip side, part of maintaining the safety of a group is making sure that the group is working cohesively. And sometimes that might mean doing not what you think should be done, but staying on the same page as everybody else on the group for the sake of consistency and coherent cohesion because sometimes that might be what keeps people alive. Mm-hmm. And Alex has got to balance that back and forth where I, uh, the other characters also do, but in less of a, uh, a precarious way. I think the dance there is a little bit different for the other characters. Yeah. 
I like how they have this. Um, you need to tweet and in- tell Cass that we're talking about him this much on this episode. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> right. Maybe that'll get him to listen. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe he already does. It'll get him to join the show. Hey. Yeah. 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 We got to get him on for an interview. Um, I like how each member of the crew really has that, uh, and even Prax, too, um, as we'll see in the finale, has this feeling of they even each other out, where one might have a pro and a con to them. Uh, one of the others um, helps even out that con. And it, and it, it, they really gel well together, which... You know, normally when you have something like that, where you have a, a an ensemble cast that fits together, you think, "Oh, well, that's just the writing," because you know you can write a, you can write a team to work together. But we see that that's not always the case, so it still feels very realistic in the sense that, yeah, there's this camaraderie, but it's not always going to be like that, and it doesn't have to always be like that for the show to work too. Right, right. And I like that element of this show. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, so what else about the penultimate episode? Anything else we need to to really discuss? I mean, a lot of the stuff with Avasarala and Bobby kind of lead into the finale, so that's really more where a lot of that takes place. Um, and then really the same thing with the, the Holden and the... Na- I mean, the Naomi thing was really what this episode was about the Holden aspect of it. Holden Alex was really putting pieces. Well, in the Holden, place. The one thing with the Holden aspect though, was really that, you know, his character was changing. I think we might want to talk about that a little bit and, you know, how, okay. you know, I mean, I mean, his, his character changed dramatically in this episode to what we've seen before, as far as him really wanting to get this done. He doesn't care what's going to happen. I'm going to kill this thing no matter what. And that's kind of not the way he's been this whole time, right? Hmm. Um, I mean, have we seen him be this assertive? I mean, he he was willing to have Alex keep going with the ship when the Martians were flying over and would have spotted them. You know, well, he's like, no, let's keep going. I mean, we've seen him with this singular a focus before. I don't think we've seen him this emotionally off the deep end about it. So yeah, I yeah, I think you're right. A little in bit that more way, than normal. Yeah. Yeah, I think he lost his sense of objectivity at this point. I mean, and I understand the reason behind his singular focus. He wants to make sure the protomolecule is completely and utterly destroyed. And he sees this as like the last remaining element of it. And so, yeah, he's willing to give up his life and the life of his crew to make sure that it ends. But Naomi had already presented some pretty compelling reasons to him previously as to why this was a witch hunt. A wild goose chase. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. he was so... I think you're right. In the past, he was a little more analytical about things, even if if just as dedicated. But now that dedication has turned into, I'm not listening to anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I never really thought about it. But Lou, I think you're right. This, this does represent uh, a, a different side of Holden. I like what you said that, um, and this I, I kind of am drawing a, a blank now that I started talking because I'm going. I'm just going to blame the the lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that um, that 
yeah, we're we're seeing this different side of him, and that obviously he's the quote unquote main hero of the show, but it's nice when you have someone you can respect like that and not always agree with their choices. Too often, I feel like in not only science fiction, but in a lot of action or adventure or drama shows, we see the main character be someone we always, or at least 90% of the time, look up to. Um, and with Holden, even though he has some really you know great qualities about him, I think it's nice that we have these situations where we're like, wait a minute, he's not supposed to be doing this. Right. Right. If you look at real-life heroes... They often, they do the right things for the right reasons, and then sometimes they do the right things for the wrong reasons, or they do the wrong things for the right reasons. They make mistakes. Their yeah. heart is in the right place, but they just do the wrong thing, or they they get wrapped up in, in what they're doing. There are a lot of different ways in which people can have heroic moments, but then otherwise have a lot of flaws that end up coming to the surface. And even in fiction, when we have characters with flaws, the flaws a lot of times really are just there to either strengthen the characters or to strengthen the team. It can't just be Superman running around doing everything. So we have a hero that also has some flaws, and then we bring in character B, who has those strengths and other weaknesses, and then we bring in character C to compensate for those weaknesses. So a lot of times the weaknesses aren't really something that weakens that character. And on this show, we see characters that are, are real. Yeah. And we see some, I mean, look again, back to the, the Holden versus Alex thing. Holden's weaknesses. You could, I would have expected Alex to compensate for them. And he didn't, he wanted to, but that wasn't the decision he made. And so again, we see, Flawed heroes and flawed characters. Oh, look at the whole thing when they uh, they went into the shipping and got the captain's husband killed. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that yeah, exactly. right. That was the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Another perfect example of that on this show. And, you know, sometimes heroic actions still have consequences and there are still other people for whom, yeah, you just saved 5,000 people, but the spouse of the one person who died and that person seemed to die needlessly is never going to forgive you that that is that's the worst day of their life mm-hmm. and and that still means something to that person that's still a real consequence and i love that this show you know it's not just the science that's real in this show the psychology that the human nature and the human element in the show is also very real and i think that's yet another thing that sets this show aside from all of the other shows on television it's not it's not fake that the human aspect yep. of it is real too. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something for a science fiction show too. Yeah. And it's real in the way do, that we don't, you do see. not get that a lot in sci-fi, right? There are no caricatures on this show. Mm-hmm. Where else do you see that? That's a good point. Yeah, you guys are absolutely right. I mean, you know, the hallmark of good sci-fi to me is character development and character building. Exactly. And very, very few of them do it well, and these guys do a great job of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so, finale? Yes, please. All right. <laughs> so, got a lot of stuff going on in the finale. <sighs> yeah. Uh, 
I don't think. Not, not really. I mean, you, you think so? <laughs> well, uh, there's okay. No, uh, Lou, you're. <laughs> I was yeah. I was just about to say that. You're I right. don't think it lives up to Leviathan's wake. Le- uh, Leviathan wakes, but yeah, it's, no, definitely not. It's still a good finale. There's um, okay. So for this season, there's there's a lot of stuff that all comes to a culmination at once. Um, it's not the same as season one, obviously. But there's a lot of really good stuff going on in this finale. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite episodes uh, in the entire series. I thought that the way that they had it, it was less about one big thing going on and then moving other things into place. The A, the B and the C plot in this episode all had stuff going on and was all really, I thought, really powerful. And I I thought that this is easily one of the most solidly built episodes in the series so far. Um, mm-hmm. I loved, and again, a lot of it, Lou and I already knew uh, from the books, story-wise, and that's fine, but it was nice to see all of it play out on screen. I, I thought it was, it, it was still, I mean, I was entranced the whole time. So mm-hmm. dealing yeah. with the, uh, the proto-monster, the PM on the ship was, I thought intense. And I thought that it, it had a good balance between action scenes and the more, the psychological aspect of we, we have to think our way out of this. But then a lot of times when you have a story that requires characters thinking their way out of something on television, you can't write it in a way that's compelling visually. Mm-hmm. So again, kudos to the writers on this show because they had to pull off uh, a narrative structure that responded well to the audience visually and and still maintained that that action scene level of excitement. And they did it, and they had character development. They had character development for Prax. They had character development for for Amos, for Naomi to some extent. There was a great moment between Holden and Naomi. Um. They also, you know, solved the actual problem at the end. All of that, I thought, was written beautifully. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then, of course, speaking we, of... No, go ahead. What? Oh, I was just going to, ah. for the rest of the recap, I was going to say, and then we have the stuff with Avasarala and Bobby and, uh, and, and kind of uh, Bobby going and retrieving the armor and, and kind of getting them out of that situation, which was at the very, very, very end of the episode. And then of course we have the big cliffhanger for, uh, season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say that, um, I loved probably my, one of my favorite scenes, not only in this, probably one of my favorite scenes of really the entire series was when, and I, I just, but just because of the way it's shot, when um, I think it's Holden and Amos go into the uh, the area of the ship where the proto monster is, and you kind of get that first person video game sort of look, right? View from their camera. I love when uh, not only like military fiction, but uh, science fiction especially can pull that off because it's such. I mean, it's something that we see all the time in, like, video games. But mm-hmm. when you translate it to a movie, it, it just feels, like, really dumb. 
and or a TV show that feels dumb and um, too fake and artificial, but this felt it like it the way that it was um, shot from that angle and also just uh, you know like a normal shot is um, it, it was done in a way that it it's intense, it's suspenseful, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. And it feels natural, like you're actually right. looking through the eyes of the characters. And when you can pull that off so well, it's phenomenal. There were two things that made that work. Number one is they showed the characters scanning the room visually, which is exactly what you would do. And it gives the viewer a sense of the room. A lot of times when mm-hmm. you get these first person perspectives in like the Doom movie and stuff like that, you've got that perspective and it's looking down a corridor well you don't really know what's to your left and to your right and in the real world as you're walking around in a a place you're exploring you look all over the place yeah but they don't do that when they use these shots in movies and television in this shot they actually scan the room they gave you some perspective and some sense of of space but most importantly the second thing they did that made it work is they didn't overuse it yes Mm mm-hmm that was the key. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I don't know who uh, does the cinematography for this show. But whoever they are, one, I'd like to meet them and just like talk to them. But And I find out their name first. But <laughs> <laughs> Stalker but, boy. But seriously, like kudos because it is it is so good and i i season one was good but i i think season two has been on another level in that area you know i i got one minor complaint though about that part of the the episode okay um this seems to be the second time a season they've fallen down on how um accurate they are in terms of being realistic and this is in the cargo bay scene with the with the with the PM. It's it's trying to get through the the floor to get to the to reactor, and it's in the cargo bay in vacuum. Correct. Um. It, yeah. The sound traveled awful well in that room. I mean, uh, okay, I know you can so, say the sound traveled through the floorboards of yes. the ship itself, but yes. it didn't have that kind of a feel to the sound they did when they did it. You know, it it wouldn't be that kind of a crashing sound; it'd be more of a a thud or vibration you'd feel. Um. So I, okay. I just had. I mean, I mean, I, I know what they're going for, and it, it worked. It just thinking back to how realistic the books are and how realistic they're trying to be, it seemed a little off to me. I like the argument that it traveled through the hull of the ship and and the rest of the metal that um, Holden was pinned against. And yeah. so I guess I'm okay with it, but I think if you want to get really nitpicky about it, you're probably right that the sound would have been a little bit different. Uh, you wouldn't have had the, the the higher frequencies. You would have had yeah, that, lower that's what's thinking. You had that lower thud but, type. Yeah, you know, uh, I know I'm being nitpicky, but it just it just seemed with as careful as they are, it just seemed a little bit off. You want to know what I caught? Holden's instructions <laughs> to Amos. Okay, you go right, I'll go left. We'll get it in a crossfire. And they're still walking side by side, and they never really split up. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah. Well, see, I pay more attention, I think, to the tactics sometimes than, than the physics. But 
sure. Yeah, and sure. does it matter? No. I listen. It that's a silly little thing. Who cares? It was an awesome episode, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean that the whole scene was done well. The whole pinned against the crate thing. The whole how do we get out of this without killing him? Yeah, I, I love that whole sequence. The intensity of the situation. See, that's what I love. Again, what I love about this show is that a lot of times you have to rely on the intensity of the action and the adrenaline of things that are moving in order to create a level of excitement and intensity. But sometimes the, the intensity of what's stationary, the intensity of just the situation alone that you want to make start moving and can't, that can be just as intense. And so They've basically, they've got the situation, they're paused. And it's almost like there's a, a counter uh, counting down. Pretty soon it's going to hit the reactor and the ship and everybody on it's going to die. But they, they can't do anything. And they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out what to do. And I thought it's brilliant. The writing of this is brilliant in how they can bring that across and ramp up the intensity by basically not doing anything not being able to do anything they've got to break out of that paralysis take action but it has to take an action that then is not going to get half of the crew killed mm-hmm. what a, what a great scene and i guess to me that's one of the reasons why this is overall my favorite episode i think i like this better than the season one finale mm. i know okay you guys might disagree and, and that's cool. i'm not I, sure i agree with it. yeah yeah no I, that's that's cool <laughs> That's cool. But I, I think like the story wise, first season finale might have been the more interesting story. But for me, the craftsmanship of this episode and, and the way it was structured and the shots and, and the story elements to me, I just I love the craftsmanship of this particular episode. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. So we should probably talk about uh, Bobby and okay. Christian. So, so, so where, where your favorite scene, Chris, was what we just talked about. My two mm-hmm. favorite scenes were with Bobby in this episode. Ooh. Okay, um, I love the scene where she fights the guys in the hallway. <laughs> yes, you know, definitely. I wasn't sure what was going on there when she grabbed that weapon and went to fire and didn't fire. What was the reason for the weapon not to fire? Um, I. Mean, I I, I was assuming it was kind of based on maybe a DNA thing or a fingerprint reader thing. Um, I'm not sure. I would have to probably rewatch it. Because you picked up another weapon afterward and tried firing that too, and that didn't do anything either. And I'm like, okay, I'll, maybe it's... If I remember when I watched the uh, the okay. live viewing, I'll see and I'll let you know. But I I don't know. Yeah, I, I love that first scene where she picks up the gun and she goes to fire it and doesn't happen. The guy's like, oops. And yeah. she just takes him out, and then she kicks him in the head at the end and says, oops. <laughs> I'm like, that was great. But yeah, it was good writing, good action scene. It was nice to see her kind of kicking butt again. Yeah. That's the kind of comedy I like, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it was the whole DNA skin. Well, whether it was DNA or finger prone or whatever. I think it was the I, whole positive ID factor of the weapons. Okay. Weapons. That, that makes, makes sense to me. I think that was what it was. Yeah. yeah. But then the next scene where she comes up to the guy at the doorway... And he's going to lock down the, um, the airlock. 
and you can tell the guy's nervous and scared, and she's kind of like just kind of being real calm and cool and collective. And it was just a great interaction with her, not having to really, you know, beat the crap out of the guy, but <laughs> just kind of yeah. reasoning. So, a she's she's tough and she's bad and she's strong, and b she's smart. You know, I like both those factors in her, make her a great character. And then the last part of that, where the guy's like. Could you rough me up and throw me in the closet so I don't look like I'm, you know... <laughs> right. It's like, that's great. Right. Before we forget, I just want to throw something in real quick. Um, and this is partially because I just got a, an Amazon notification in another window here. Um, issue number two of the Expanse comic book series is now out. It's called The Expanse Origins. It's a four-part series, and each issue is focusing on the backstory of a different character. The first one is Holden. This uh, issue is going to be Naomi. Of course, I haven't read it yet, but I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Nice. Yeah, I keep forgetting about those. i got to get the first one and read it and obviously get this one, too. Yeah. Now, I do digital stuff. Lou, you and I do audiobooks a lot, and I do mm-hmm. ebooks when I have to read something. So I kind of do the same thing with comic books. So I, I go through Comixology, which is tied in with Amazon now, and that way I can just download it and read it on my iPad. So don't feel like it's, you it's, have to find a local comic book store to go get it. You can get an electronic sure. copy. I find that whole digital copy thing, the audiobook for comic books, really tough. When Why? you guys describe each panel to you when you're in the car listening to it, it doesn't really work. Audiobook for comic book? Yeah, you know, the guy said, you know, the first panel is, uh, you know, no, that's not the way it works. No. It's, <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. I, I, did I say audiobook instead of ebook? No, no, I was making a joke that fell okay. flat. So I'm sorry. Forget it. Never mind. I'm sorry. Yeah, no joke is funny after the autopsy. I, I, I know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's nothing that's critical to the series. It's nothing that's uh, really critical to the books either. It's the the first issue was. It was good. It was interesting. It gives a an interesting moment in Holden's backstory that is referenced in the show, um, but it's not a critical part of of the show. So you're not, you know, you're not missing anything critical if you don't check it out. However, I feel like it's interesting enough that it's worth checking out. So I would recommend it. Now, the main question is, is this going to be out in a physical form, maybe even in a trade paperback? Um, it is. It, the issues are out in physical form. Uh, I imagine a collection of the four-part uh, series will be out at some point. Uh, the issues cover price, I think they're three ninety nine. So with four issues, that would put it at about... Um, Sixteen dollars. So I'm guessing that the collection, when it does come out, will probably be about twelve dollars. However, keep in mind that that's probably going to be a minimum of six months after issue four comes out, which will be let's see, mm-hmm. probably June. So I mean, we're talking like Christmas time before you're going to see all four yeah. collected, probably. Mm-hmm. So yeah, keep it in mind. I mean, you're going to save yourself like what? three or four dollars by waiting to yeah. Christmas, does it really matter that much? Just get them now. Yeah, I just I just like to have physical copies of and that's fine. cool stuff like that. Yeah, but you can get the, uh, the issues individually um, local comic book store or through Amazon. They will ship you the comic books. You know, various different ways to get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, back to the show. Um, I kind of liked 
seeing Bobby get her armor back and, and come back to the, I don't know that she's like a, a mercenary per se, but like having her with the Martian armor, but not being beholden to the Martian military yeah. anymore. Can I just say that, and uh, I, I don't know if this is nitpicking or not, but first, before I, I say this, I want to clarify that I'm well aware that in science fiction, especially one that's military based, when you have like power armor and stuff, um, obviously this is high tech equipment that's supposed to not have, um, you know, not be able to be damaged really easily. But it just felt a little too easy that she was able to get her armor and just fend off those guys and their bullets, no problem. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think so at all. So here's the thing. The type of weapons you would use inside of a ship would be low-caliber weapons that would not have any chance of piercing the hull. Mm -hmm. And so for that same reason, they're not going to be able to pierce her suit. Okay. See, now that, when you say it that way, it makes complete sense. Yeah, when you look at fire on ballistics. I guess I'm Mm. just not familiar enough with her armor and the way it's designed. Okay. Yeah, no, I, is good maybe that's something you get more detail that. in in the book, but yeah. Um, and I mean, like I said, I like I know perfectly well that you know high tech armor like that, like we're supposed to imagine that it's not going to just be affected by a, a bullet, especially one that you fire in a ship, like you said, Eric. But um, yeah, but out in the field, I, I, I guess I'm just not. I, I would I the the side of me that appreciates the detail like that. Mm-hmm. Um, was kind of wishing it would happen, but you know you really can't convey that in a, in a show properly. So right out out in the actual field with other combatants, like you know, firing high caliber rounds and stuff like that. Yeah, she she's going to need to take cover and she's going to be concerned about that. But inside of a spaceship, um, you're going to use a, a type of round that y- you don't want it to pierce the hull of the ship because then you die too. So um, mm-hmm. for that same reason, they are going to be completely ineffective against her armor. But you know, for people who either don't understand that or don't think about that, um, because I mean, like as former military, former law enforcement, you think about different types of rounds that have different um, stopping power versus different penetration power. So like a 45 caliber might be good for one thing. A nine millimeter round might be better for penetrating things. Uh, it's, it's a consideration. Um, yeah, but that's one of those situations where the reality of this show can get confusing. Um, I remember a long time ago, well, it feels like a long time ago, many episodes ago, I was talking about um, when they were going into hard burn and pulling a lot of G's, I, I kind of felt like it wasn't all that realistic because you know they weren't shaking around in their, in their seats and stuff like that. And then uh, Zachary wrote in and said, well, that would only take effect if they're going through atmosphere though, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're so used to seeing science fiction done poorly that when it's done with real physics we run into things where we don't know about the real physics of certain situations and we're so used to the wrong thing that we're like well isn't it supposed to be this other way well no that that just happens to be a topic that you haven't had exposure to before and, and don't know what it's supposed to look like it's weird sometimes with this show but that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I love the scene with her going in, 
just when you know you figure uh, what's his face. I, I forget Avasarala's bodyguard's name, but like right at that point where you had this whole debate back and forth between the two of them about again, you know, what which is the right, what's the right decision. They're both coming from a point of wanting to do the right thing, with diametrically opposed opinions on what you know how that should be done, and a decision is made, and then you're like, well. The other decision might have resulted in both of them living. And now this results in one of them dying instead. Was that the right decision or not? Or would it ended up ha- would it have ended up being inevitable anyway? But then mm-hmm. Bobby comes in and tears them all apart and saves the day. Yep. So while all that's going on, Holden gets himself in a little bit of a jam. Literally. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> I may be sleepy. But, but the I bad puns are coming funny. regardless. Yes. <laughs> that's that's great. Actually I think you're you have more bad puns when you're tired. Probably, yeah. yeah. Or you no, here's here's the thing. I spent a week with uh Joel, who helps oh, run our Twitter accounts. Yeah. And if anyone knows Joel It's rubbing off. Puns. Yes, it and, is rubbing off. And also Jay who does our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. podcast and Arrow and, and The Flash. Yeah, between Joel and Jay, it was a rough week for the puns. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, so Holden's in a bit of, of a jam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he gets uh, pinned up against the wall by um, something that the uh, monster throws at him. Mm-hmm. And... It comes down to the point where that well they might actually have to sacrifice Holden to um, let him well to save not, the crew. Yeah, to save the group. Um, and I'll be honest, I actually like again. I don't know spoilers. I've not read the back of this book or Abaddon's Gate, even though I have them sitting right beside me on my bookshelf. I don't know who survives. I thought they were actually going to kill him. It could happen. Now, now here you go with the hints. That wasn't a hint at all. It could happen. It could anybody could die at any time. There's that no hint. True. That is true. W- would you like a hint? No, I don't want a hint. Would you like a hint? You know you want a hint. Come on, Chris. I I do not want a single hint. I already know too much about the future of the series anyway. Yep. Which is not our fault. No. Yeah. No, I will not give any hints, I promise. I will just say that like with any well-written show, you can't just rely on tropes. Thank goodness. And we have no idea. We have no reason to just assume that any particular character is safe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's perfectly reasonable to believe, especially with the conversation with Naomi and Amos. Yeah. Saying there was, there's no chance that he will survive, right? You lied. And Amos is like, mm-hmm. yeah, I did. And uh, that just goes back to what we were talking about earlier with um, the show, ignoring the cliche. Uh, I mean, I, if they were ever going to kill them off, I think this would be a good chance because you had the uh, Miller-Holden dynamic developing early in the season and then late in season one. 
and then that gets thrown off because Miller dies, yeah. and then you kill the other half. I mean, that's not something you, you would really expect. So, um, at least in the same season. But I, I like the fact that they they wrote it well enough, and that they played the scenes out well enough, and the acting too was very well done. Um, that you actually do believe that, wow, they might actually die here. You know, they might not actually win. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's when a, when a show when a movie can do it, it's it's more common than that. I think, but when a TV show can do it, I think it's even better. People it's, don't it's something special. Don't always expect it as much in a TV show because you have a longer investment in the character you've spent more hours with that character on the flip side it's then easier to come to a point narratively where it's okay to kill the character because the character's story has been fully told and there's nowhere else to go with it Mm -hmm. so you know it's done more frequently than people probably think about but when it's done it has to be done more carefully because people are more invested and that was always a big deal with Lost. That was a big deal with... Uh, it still is a big deal with Game of Thrones, uh, with Westworld, with, you know, the the braver stories out there are, you know, they do that from time to time. And, and that's yeah just how it goes, because that's storytelling. Mm-hmm. What did you think of... Um the plan that they eventually came up with. I like, I'm, I'm really, and I have hinted at this before in episodes, but I really, really like Prax. I am more impressed with Prax than I expected to be. Mm-hmm. And I know we keep talking about, we, we keep reflecting back to the book. It's hard not to reflect back to the book because we read the book and we love the book. And that's why we were so thrilled about the show coming out. You, you know, it's, that's part of this universe. You can't ignore it, but Prax was uh, interesting in the book, and in the TV show, he's interesting and likable. I much prefer this incarnation of Prax. Mm-hmm. I'm pleasantly surprised. Lou, what do you think? What about, about you, Prax? Lou? Yeah, no, he's done a good job with with what he's been given. Um, I mean, he is the science guy; he's figuring things out from a science perspective. Uh, they they really need to have that kind of knowledge to interact with this creature, you know, the PM. Um, and he did a great job figuring out how to to kill it. Now, one thing I will say is I think he's just a bit overdone when it comes to protecting the protomolecule monster because he thinks it might be a kid. Well, he hasn't I mean, had... I don't think he's had enough exposure to what the protomolecule proto-molecule can do that he's willing to write his daughter off. Yeah. Maybe not, but, I mean, he's seen the monster. Um, but he hasn't seen every the monster time... do anything bad. Right? That's true, I suppose. I yeah. get what you're saying, and we as the audience are are very aware of just how much we need to get this thing shut down, but I, I guess I can see where he would be a little hesitant. Yeah. I I always got yeah. the feeling. I always got the feeling that, um, you know, when, when you want, and I mean, I don't have kids, obviously, but that you know, I of. got the feel. Don't say that. <laughs> 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 I got the, I got the feeling that 
he is he's not desperate to find his child, but um, well, I mean, he is desperate, but he's not like willing to do like put himself in a, an incredibly dangerous situation. He just wants to be sure. And you know, if it comes down to accepting, well, maybe maybe it is, maybe it's not. I mean, you don't know. And like you said, Eric, he's not the only exposure he's had. He, he's seen or he he saw what happened to that that one child and he almost touched it. And um, Holden was like, no, don't touch it. Or Naomi said it, one of them. Um, and then they burned him and he's, he, he can't really understand like the problem. I mean, obviously you see this creepy creature protomolecule thing walking around and you're like, well, what's that? Like right. that's that's pretty scary, but I mean, aside from that, I mean, you you don't really have anything to go on. And even when we see, uh, like, we see the uh, Holden is pinned up against the wall, and the creature just leaves him alone. Like, doesn't really uh, att- try to attack him or uh, anything like that. So again, he really doesn't have anything to go by. And even when. Um, they go out uh, on the um, side of the ship, which I thought, by the way, side note, is a really cool scene. And they have the um, the part of the torpedo, and right before he throws it in the air, like that 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 was intense, first of all. But um, I think right at that moment when he got like a face to face look with the PM. And then he throws it up in space. Like, I think that is when he knew that it wasn't his daughter and that all of his his fears about that could, like, be lessened and that he can still have hope. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right so um uh, anybody else have anything to say on that no okay. i mean so what about the moment between naomi and holden at the end there uh which by the way listen i thought that 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 speech from naomi i normally don't like that kind of thing but i liked it i thought it fit the series it it fit uh it, it gave relevance for the series to what's going on in the world today without being too, too preach. I, I guess there's a moment where it might've been taken as a little bit preachy, but it was still so grounded in the context of the show that even if you wanted to ignore the real world relevancy of it and just keep it within the show, you could, I thought it was really well written. And then it leads into her confession to Holden that not only did she not destroy their sample of the protomolecule, but that she provided it directly to Fred Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it seems to be this relationship between Holden and Naomi that just keeps going. Uh, you know, they trust each other. There's some doubt. They trust each other. Uh, there's some doubt. They're, they're great for each other. Uh, they're kind of oil and water. And it keeps going back yeah. and forth, and now we're back to this. I mean, this is a major violation of trust. Major. Yeah. I mean, you could put, be putting the whole galaxy at risk here. And this is back before Naomi knew whether or not 
there were additional copies of the protomolecule, as we now know because of the protomolecule monster. This was back before that when she made this decision. This, at that point in time, this was the only instance of the protomolecule that still existed. And she didn't mm-hmm. destroy it, and she handed it over to a person. Yeah, that hasn't always got along with Odin. And hasn't always made the best decisions. Yeah. Now, I will say, because when that scene was going on, first of all, I want to say Dominique Tipper, phenomenal job. Absolutely. At that mm-hmm. speech. Mm-hmm. Like, and and a whole, and uh, Stephen Strait's reactions to it were, it felt so genuine. And like, you could fit, you could like, you could like feel the tension in the room and, and the emotion between both of them. Um, I, I think they were, they were playing off each other so well in that scene. So great job to them. Um, but when I was watching it, you know, I was expecting some kind of like big reveal or big revelation. Um, and yeah, that, that is a big reveal, but I think, and this just is goes to show how wonderfully written the show is. Personally, I, I, I have a inkling about what giving the protomolecule to Fred Johnson will do, but I can't tell you for certain. And it leaves me wondering, and it, I'll be theorizing for the next year about, you know, what's going to happen and what kind of effects this will have on the, the universe and all the factions and all the characters that we know and uh, how the relationship between Holden and Naomi will be going forward because of this. And the, the fact that I'm given this piece of in, this huge piece of info that's obviously big, but I have no idea how it's going to impact it. I think that is probably the best kind of writing that you can get, especially in a finale. Yeah, I'll give you that. What about you, Eric? Any thoughts on on that? Um, no. Other than what I, I already said. I, I mean, I agree with what you said. I, I this episode, like I said, this episode was just so awesome. Yeah. Like I, I don't have any complaints about this episode. I mean, okay, the the you go right, I'll go left thing, and they both stick together. Okay. Like when that's the worst thing you can pick apart about an episode, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. Definitely. And I really I, I think that just goes to show again, you know, we sit here and we occasionally nitpick the show and um people have actually called us out on it. And I will perfectly admit, yes, sometimes we do nitpick the show. But when we only can complain about the things that we're nitpicking about what does that say about the quality of the show? I mean, yeah, it, it's pr- like I, I sat here and yes, there were times in season one where I was binging it and I was uh, occasionally distracted, like by my phone or by my computer or something, and I wasn't paying f- as much as as much of attention as I probably should have. But um, this season has just been off the wall, insane. <laughs> in a good way of course um, I loved it I, I think it's a fitting end to um, to a wonderful wonderful few months of television okay well let's talk about the actual end 
Yeah. So now, did you, you understand what was kinda, going on? Uh, you guys had to kind of explain to me a so, little bit off the air about what was going on there. So let's talk about that because we didn't give you any spoilers. So let's go ahead and, and readdress that because I think there are a lot of people out there. And again, spoiler free. Um, that yes, this might... is the, I, as someone who has already heard this, this has nothing to do yes. with the books. Well. Yeah, no, we're not referencing anything with the books. It's, I mean, we know thanks to the books, but I think a lot of people just didn't mechanically understand what it was they were observing. So we're not talking ahead. We're just talking about what we saw. Yeah. So what you saw basically was that ship. I mean, at first it might have looked like the ship was being blown up, but it was mm-hmm. oh, not. We're talking about the one on Venus, by the way. On the one on Venus, yes. Yes. Um, you know, we saw the Martian ship fled past them and we didn't see the Martian ship again. And then all of a sudden their ship just stopped. And they're like, Oh, what, what we stopped. Are you sure we stopped? Why did, why would we have stopped? And then the ship was basically disassembled screw by screw. It did not blow up. It was not disintegrated. Every individual piece of the ship is intact. They're just no longer connected to one another. So does that make sense, Chris, to what you saw? Yes. Okay. Now, what does that mean? No idea. We don't know. <laughs> but that's I, I very will, interesting, isn't it? Question. Um, am I am I correct in assuming that the people on the ship are aware of? That they're alive. Well, let's let's look at the physics of it. Um, Okay, so we don't know for certain. So we're going to make some basic assumptions based on physics. If it is merely that everything on the ship just became disconnected from one another and expanded out in in a spherical direction, then one would assume that. The oxygen was then gone. The heat was then gone, etc. They don't die instantly. It takes them a few seconds, well, a few minutes, perhaps, whatever. However long it takes you to die in the vacuum of space is how long it's going to take them to die. And they're going to have awareness for a little bit before that happens. Mm-hmm. Now, awareness and cognition are are two different things. So sometimes you see something and your brain just can't process it like it it doesn't know Mm -hmm. how to react so do they have an awareness of what's going on they might not be aware in the sense that their brain can't comprehend and understand it and so they're they're just kind of staring at it like what you know what i mean yeah but yes they would in theory they would be aware that the ship is no longer uh, coherent It, it is no longer intact okay because see that that is exactly the feeling that I got. I was expecting. Wait a minute. Why didn't they just fall? And then I realized. Wait a minute. We're supposed to be getting the feeling that they're most likely going to be uh, meeting their doom. I guess you could say. Right. And at least for the moment, we're we're not a suspension of time, but it almost feels like that. Well, that part of they're aware of what's going on and cognitive, but they're. They don't know what's going on still. Right. 
Now, another thing to keep in mind is because it's not an explosion, these pieces are not flying off in different directions really fast. It's basically still kind of in a, a almost uh, spherical layout and just slowly drifting yeah, yeah. apart. So it it's not that the ship went flying apart. It's just it came uh-huh. disassembled and is slowly starting to float away in every direction. Yeah. So that's another thing. It is not falling toward the planet, even though it mm-hmm. is within the planet's atmosphere, right? Mm-hmm. Because there was the, you know, the the going through the different layers of atmosphere, um, back when they deployed the heat shields. Right, mm-hmm. they were starting to slow down and and descend into the atmosphere itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whatever's going um, on, it's not a result of just being in the zero gravity of space because they are not in yeah. space. Right, and, and if you look at the scene. You know, as the ship is just totally, you know, I, I look at it as being expanded. Everything's been taken apart and kind of moved away from each other, almost like an exploded parts diagram. Mm-hmm. And the characters are still in the positions they were in, in their seats, which no longer exist, looking around. I mean, they're still aware of what's going on. Yeah. For how uh, much longer, I don't know, but... Yeah. I like to think of it in... Maybe this is the best way to say it is that, you know how, like, if you um, let's say that you would um, take like a, something sharp and pinch yourself or hit yourself with it. So uh, it's obviously going to hurt. You're going to have like a facial reaction and you film yourself and then put it in slow motion between the time that the sharp point is making contact with your skin to the time that you react. There's a point in there where there's nothing going on like your your brain hasn't really processed the pain yet so you haven't made any kind of reaction despite the fact that the needle has touched your skin and is actually hurting you i think that's a one way that might be smart of looking at it it might not be physically correct uh and i might be proven wrong next season but i think that for the time being that's a decent way to look at it if you're having trouble wrapping your mind around it. What would you guys say to that? Um, you scare me a little bit, Chris. You're hurting yourself in videotaping it to see reactions? <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. We might want to call somebody, Eric. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think I know what you mean, Chris. It, it's just that time between the event and the recognition of what's actually happening. Yes. Yes. That could be the case. It's just, I think it was a very cool effect. We still have no idea what happened to the Mars ship that, that was racing down to the to the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but see what happened to the Arbogast, I believe maybe the same thing happened to the uh, Mars ship. Yeah. Or did the Mars that, ship cause what happened to the Arbogast? Well, I maybe. Was, my, my thought was that they both of them... Um, suffer the same fate or something similar to that. Hmm. I, I love the shot though. Visually, I think it was again gorgeous and beautiful. And you know, I, I would love to have super high res um, stills of that shot, just so I could zoom in and see all the tiny little details that I'm sure is put on some of the smaller pieces of that ship. Um, speaking of beautiful shots, something I forgot to mention is that when 
uh, Alex, for the lack of a better word, burns the uh, monster. See what I did there? Burn? Because the ship burns? No, burn that, the monster? That, that, that was not quite as good as some of the, the <laughs> earlier ones, which were not all that great in the first place. I just want to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're slipping <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, just a little. But um, I, I thought of when when we saw the uh, the exhaust or the flames or whatever of the of the uh, of the Rosie hit the hit the monster and you kind of see it sort of disintegrate. Mm-hmm. I thought that was visually another very very nice piece of effects. Yeah, you know what? Over you know, season thing- two, there have been some complaints. I, I know we're running long. I know we're like pushing an hour and twenty minutes here, but I just want to say this real quick. I know that. Some people have voiced some complaints at some points in season two about the effects. I don't get it. And every single time someone has complained about the effects, I've had to go back and look and say, oh, okay, I see what they're talking about. And for me, I guess it's because the story is so compelling. Mm -hmm. And I don't even notice when there's a little bit of an effect that could have been done better. Like just normally in most films and, and TV series that would that would stand out to me. And there's something yeah. about the way this show's done. I know I'm sounding really fanboyish, but listen, people who have listened to us podcast for over a decade now, for some of us, um, you guys out there know that if there's something that is, you know, we're not going to call everything sunny and beautiful all the time when it's not. I mean, listen to our Star Wars shows. If something is wrong, we point yeah. it out. We want to be honest. We want to have integrity in our, our podcasts. The Expanse is just so good. There's just not much to complain about. It's just that good. So yeah. for me, I don't even notice bad effect shots sometimes. I don't even... Sometimes I don't even agree with the bad effect shots. Like, okay, sometimes I can see it, but then I'm like, okay, but this is a television show that has a more limited budget than something yeah. like Star Wars. And then I'm like, okay... What about other shows on sci-fi? And I remember Battlestar Galactica at the time looked phenomenal. And to an extent, it still does. But The Expanse looks better. And, and, and don't think they're not spending the hell out of their budget. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't imagine that there's a whole lot extra sitting around yeah. where they didn't spend every penny they had on, on these effects and, and the sets and mm-hmm. production. Yeah. So... I don't think there's a lot going to waste there. And it shows it. It's can you find a flaw? Well, sure. You can do that with everything though. You can do it with everything. Yeah. Yep. On a, that's kind of a reflection of the show itself because, you know, we're sitting here talking about how realistic it is and that's just how the real world is. The real world, the real world has its flaws and you don't want, I mean, I, I know this is, I'm sure some of the VFX people would, like give me really evil glares if they heard me say this and they might actually be listening to to me right now. So sorry in advance, but um, you almost kind of want those not so perfect effects because then it, that kind of, or that might run the risk of uh, taking you out of that realistic feeling sensation that the expanse has. Um, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I entirely 
agree or, or follow what you're saying, but I, I think I get what you're saying conceptually, and I can understand that. Yeah, it's it's not really from a – it's not meant to be taken more literally. It's more from right. a conceptual point of view. Hey, and again, frankly, the effects in this show kick butt. Yeah. They're great. Is there a shot that's not as good as the other shots? Well, okay. Yeah, maybe. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Because most of the shots in this show are incredible. Yeah. Um, one one last thing I want to say about effects. I love the design of the proto monster because it, this is the first time that we first get to see it close up. You know, detail, and I I love the design of it. Yeah, I, I know you guys were both book readers, so I don't know how you feel um, compared to what you see visually and um, what what's actually on screen, but. I thought it worked. Um, yeah, I think that was kind of what I was looking for in the monster, kind of what I envisioned mm-hmm. after reading the books. Yeah, I'd agree with Lou. So I have a question. So, so oh, go ahead. Okay. No, no, go ahead. Oh no, I was, I was. No, you go ahead. Well, I wanted to I've save my it. question for the end of the show. So if this is not the end of the show. Oh, mine is also for the end of the show. Oh, well, then I'll <laughs> go ahead. I was going to ask. Wow. So now that we are at the end of this season, what's next for the Crash Couch podcast? Uh, well, it's funny you say that. Um, I figure that maybe that should be definitely what we end with. I okay. guess. Because, and I, I, I don't want to throw your question off, but <laughs> I can ask um, it again in another twenty seconds. It's not that big a deal. I mean, if you had something else that. Yeah, I was just going to ask what, uh, what, in like just a couple sentences, what do you, what is your overall opinion of season two? And if you could pick a favorite episode or favorite moment or whatever, what would it be? Okay. Uh, well, I'll go first just because I already said mine. Um, and, and this is definitely my favorite episode. Um, as far as uh, a favorite moment, uh, I I don't know that I I necessarily have a f- a favorite moment. I guess if I'd gotten the question earlier, I I could have maybe come up with one. Um, <laughs> I like I I liked the last shot in in this season. Like I had forgotten about that that whole thing. Uh, there are various different moments throughout the season that I thought were really good. Um. I liked the the shot of Miller and uh, Julie. Yes. That whole scene. And not just the emotionality of the scene, but visually, I like the scene. So favorite episode, probably this. Favorite scene, that one. And uh, for the season overall, as strong as season one was. And I know a lot of people probably really like season one. I think season one was probably a better season just because of the way the story was unfolding at that moment. And they had to do things differently with season two, but I liked a lot of, there were more individual moments in season two that I liked. So Lou, um, I don't think I have a favorite episode per se. I mean, I thought I liked the way season two kept me on my toes because it was different than the books. Um, you know, that, that to me really 
kind of helped me out with um, my enjoyment of the series itself. As far as a favorite moment, I just have to say the two Bobby scenes from this episode that I talked about earlier, you know, with her kicking butt and with her, uh, you know, being smart about stuff. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to ask you guys, no, you, you both know me pretty well. well, well what do you think is my... Oh, okay. I was huh? going to say, you didn't answer. You don't get to get off the hook here. I was going to say, uh, what do you guys think is my favorite episode of the season? The one where Miller dies? Yep. <laughs> that was uh, our favorite episode yes. of the podcast, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, of course it was. <laughs> um, that was, uh, like, as much as I just truly, truly mourned Miller's death, um, I think that episode is just phenomenal mm-hmm. and is a brilliant work of storytelling, both visually, um, the writing, the plot, the dialogue, the characters, the, the way it makes my emotions feel at the end is just incredible, um, even though it is very sad. And it's, it's a nice accumulation of... Um, Miller as a character, and I just I love that episode so much. I've actually um, wanted to walk, go back and watch that after the season uh, finished up, just just so I can make sure that it holds up, which I, I know it will, just because it's a brilliant, brilliant episode, and um, that's definitely my favorite of the season, followed by uh, the par- the paradigm shift. Um, I remember saying that was also one of my favorites. So. Yeah. As for a moment, um, I don't want to say Miller and Julie just because that's more about the the way the shot looked uh, from a filmmaking perspective. Um, I liked I liked the the time that we saw on Earth. It was nice to get out of space for a little bit and or off of ships and actually get on the ground. So that's something that I would like to see explored more. I don't know if it'll happen, but. I think being more more on different locations on planets or um, even just Earth or Mars would be nice. So that's mine. Yep. Okay. Now I have a question for you. Okay. Now that season two is over, what's next <laughs> for the Crash Couch? <sighs> well, um, that's a good, good question. You know, and there there are some books that we could maybe do an episode or two on. Why? Yeah. Well, like Leviathan <laughs> Wakes, Caliban's War. We, we could cover the novel. And for those people who don't want anything to do with the novels, they can always just skip those individual episodes. We will not be offended. Um, now, and hopefully um, we, can, we can set up some interviews and stuff. And now, so James S.A. Corey just tweeted recently that they're starting on season three, which is great news, except that means he's going to be too busy right now for us to get on the show. But mm-hmm. I imagine Dominique, Cass, etc. You know, they might be available. So mm-hmm. we can maybe see about and some, some of the crew too. Some of the crew that, like yeah, actually absolutely. go into the production. Oh yeah. I mean that's so yeah, that's one thing we want to do here on Crash Couch is get um not only cast interviews if possible, but also crew because mm-hmm. They're equally as important, and given how important or how um, 
much they've promoted not only this show for us, but also um, the inter- the interactive uh, times that we've had through Twitter on the live tweets and stuff. Um, I-, I think at this point, we kind of owe them an appearance on the show. <laughs> well, you know, Chris, you're right. I like the way you put that. We we do. In a di- oh, well, and first of all, you know, you say we owe them, but we would be honored if oh, yeah. they were willing to come on our show and, and chose to come on our show. So really, you know, we, we owe them a spot if they're willing to take it. But mm-hmm. even aside from the fact that, you know, they've tweeted with us, they've helped promote the Crash Couch at, at various times. Um, we owe it to them just as viewers of the show, because a lot of times mm-hmm. the, the crew of shows and films, they don't get, you know, they're not on screen. They don't get recognition for the hours and hours and hours of work that they do and the hours they they put in front of a computer screen, designing the effects, the hours that they spend building the props and the sets or the costumes or, I mean, there are, are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people working on this show and on screen we see, you know, 20 or 30 plus a bunch of extras. Yeah. And so, you know, we all, we owe it to them anyway just because of the the great quality of work that they do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Totally. I I I hope that any of them would be willing to come on the show and uh and hang out with us. I think it'd be a lot of fun and I think that it, they would have some great insights to bring to all of our listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Definitely. Chris, make it happen, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll have That's to right. work my magic and yeah. see what I can do. Hey, the It'll way I look at it... weird not having the crash couch to If do we can do it for, for Star Wars, we should be able to do it for the crash yeah. couch, right? That is true. Yeah. You know, while we're, while we're here, we should probably just make a shout out to every single person, be it your listener, cast, crew, um, normal person, whatever you are. Um, wait, wait, wait. Normal people? So if we watch the show, we're not normal? Oh, no. I think, you're, I think Chris you're just normal. insulted most of our audience. No, every, everyone probably. is normal. <laughs> every, everyone. So now you're saying okay. we're just normal people? We're not special? Well, no, no, no. Eric, 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 you're special. Just like everybody else. <laughs> right. I'm a special snowflake. Right. Everybody out there, Chris is explaining to you that you're very average. Yes. <laughs> Not really. Um, I just want to say thank you to every single person that has supported us this season. Um, I do wish that we were able to maybe get this running a little bit before season two. So We didn't the rush season one, but uh, maybe it would be nice that in hindsight, maybe we can go back and um, discuss that sometime during the off season because I mean we have almost uh, a fair portion of the year to go before season three. Well, you know another thing that don't we can remind do me that we've done on uh, television related podcasts in the past is we can now take this opportunity in the down season to go back and look at particular storylines or yeah. take a character and look at the development of that character or particular moments from from the series that aren't necessarily episode specific, but that might've spanned several episodes and and look at them as to how they fit into the overall storyline. 
So there are, are yeah. still a lot of different things that we can go and, and cover. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that uh, now we might take a little bit of a, a break for a few weeks. I don't know. We'll have to talk amongst ourselves about that. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely stuff we can cover during the off season. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, just, just if you don't see an episode of The Crash Couch for a while, don't think that we're gone. We're still alive. And if there's a, if there's any kind of expanse related news um, that's worthy of a discussion, you know, we'll hop online and talk about it. Absolutely, record it for you. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, normally this this would normally be the time where I say next time on Crash Couch, but <laughs> we don't know what that'll be. Well, you know, hopefully it'll be something good. Next time on Random Chatter, we will be discussing various different types of entertainment related news, which includes sci-fi news and which from time to time will include uh, the expanse like for example james s a cory tweeted the fact that they're currently working on season three so you know you you can get tidbits of this sort of thing on our other mm-hmm. shows yep so and, and you know eric since you brought it up why don't you tell people about our other shows all righty then uh <laughs> random chatter.com yeah very smooth channeling my uh, Jim Carrey there. Uh, RandomChatter.com. That's the Random Chatter Podcast Network. That's where you can find all of our shows. We have the uh, the main Random Chatter show, which is split up into two different types of shows. Some are discussions and uh, where we take a, a single topic based in the entertainment industry, whether it be movies or television or books or whatever. And, and we just kind of, you know, do a water cooler type discussion about it for about an hour. Um, the other show is uh, covering the news. That comes out in any given week and not just reporting the news. We don't really try to break the news because, you know, weekly podcast, you guys might have already heard some of the stories, but we talk about it, too. We we provide commentary on the news. And so both of those come out once a week. We also have various different Star Wars related podcasts. We have Echo Base, which is, again, a, a discussion show. We have The Outer Rim, which is a news show. We have Ghost Stories, which is a Rebels podcast. And, of course, Ghost, because that's the name of the ship from the show uh we have uh we mentioned before uh jay and josh both do various different television related shows for uh, uh green justice for arrow scarlet velocity for the flash and agents of shield case files so you can check those out and then we've got a bunch of other shows on on the network too we have uh the retro convo which goes back and covers various n- nostalgic uh shows and movies and stuff from the 80s and 90s We've got uh, Chordcast, which is a music show that Chris and Joel do. Uh, Chasing Fandom, which is Chris's new show, talking about different elements of the, the fan community. Uh, what am I forgetting? Did I oh, hit no. all of them? All oh, right. Did I you did say, better than I thought. Did you say Retro Convo? I did. Say, of course I said Retro he Convo. He did. Okay. He did. Because yep. it's an awesome show. It's one that I'm not. none of the three of us are involved with. Um, it's actually done by a different set of guys, but I'm very, very glad that they contacted us and, and we worked it out mm-hmm. so that it's on our network. It's a great addition. It's an awesome show. Yep. I love those guys. Anyway, again, yeah, how can you not, if you're interested, absolutely. If you're interested in star Wars, we have a lot of, uh, shows coming up covering celebration itself and, uh, the, the future of star Wars, as well as a bunch of reveals from the convention um, a lot of content from the convention. Uh, we, we've got a lot of episodes coming up that are going to be really good. So be yep, sure to check those sure. out. And that's it. That's all I got. 
Well, you did a great job, Eric. Well, thank you. Better than I would have done. I got to be good at something. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) I'm good at lists. (laughs) There you go. That's my skill. If you want to comment on Eric's wonderful um, promotion of randomchatter.com, you can find (laughs) us online at our Facebook, facebook.com slash randomchatternetwork. We also have our Twitter account for the show. This is uh, at Crash Couch. I do live tweets there, which will be my last one tomorrow night, which will have already happened after this gets posted. Um, but we will continue also, to tweet from that account. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So don't don't give us don't unfollow or anything. We'll we'll be back. Don't Nobody worry. would unfollow us. They're they're going to sit around yeah. and wait for more content. Exactly. Yeah. You can also reach out to us via email, crashcouch at randomchatter.com. That goes to the three of us, so we will definitely see it. Um, also, the Random Chatter Network as a whole has a Twitter account, at Random Chatter. My Twitter is at the Curse of Chris, which I didn't mention this at the top of the show, but I was Twitter fan of the week for two weeks ago now, I think. Yeah, excellent. So, Congratulations. Um, yeah. That's a big I, plus. I, big plus. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot to uh, mention that. So thank you to the uh, Expanse writers and everyone for naming me fan of the week. That makes me happy. Oh, you know what? What? And I I say this because that's relevant to um, some of the information we have to submit for this. There is a possibility, uh, remote as it may be, we... And and we we say remote with emphasis. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a pretty good chance of this happening, uh, or, or I wouldn't mention it. Um, we may be involved in a fan panel covering The Expanse at New York Comic Con. Yeah. We are being submitted as part of a, a larger fan panel uh, application, and we will see how it goes. But even if we don't end up doing the fan panel, I'm sure we are probably going to be at New York Comic Con. And uh, so you can try to meet up with us there and hang out for a while. And we would mm-hmm. love to meet some of our audience. We did that at Celebration in Orlando for our Star Wars audience. And it was a lot of fun. And we can't wait to get to do the same thing in New York. Now, this is going to be in October mm-hmm. of this year. And, uh, and like I said, we may have a panel. So we'll see. Stay yep. tuned. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay, so back to the Twitter stuff. And and again, congratulations on the the Twitter account of the week for uh, the Expanse. I mean, that's a big deal. To mm-hmm. me, it is. Oh, it was to me too. It, it made my night. Oh, I bet. <laughs> well, I'm sure it did. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of Twitter, what are what are your uh, guys' Twitter handles? Because we can't we can't forget you two. Even Thank though you don't you. you don't tweet as much, we'll work but on. But hey, you're, still, you're still there. We'll work on it. Yeah. Uh, mine is just at my name, and so it's at Lou Secchi, L-O-U-S-E-C-K-I. And mine is at Eric Blight. That's E-R-I-K-B-L-Y-T-H-E. Cool. So finally, um, leave us reviews on iTunes. I know this has been a long episode. I know it's been a long closing, too. Uh, you can blame it on me for my lack of sleep. So leave us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever kind of um, podcast app you use. We would really appreciate it. Um, Tell your friends about us as well. Get them watching The Expanse. 
this is the perfect time with season two now wrapped i actually one of my star wars friends uh just posted a few weeks ago that he was watching um season one and he fell in love with it and then i think he was going to watch season two maybe when it finished so um that should be fun but yeah if you have a friend that um is not watching the expanse and you are well you really need to conv- need to convince them or just stop being friends with them because <laughs> I mean if you're not watching the expanse you're wrong so you paused um, long enough there if you have a friend there's a pause and I'm like <laughs> yeah and if you don't have a friend I mean contact us because you know we don't want you to be lonely or anything yeah we'll talk yeah. to you all right so yes get, get your friends watching the expanse and listening to crash couch too now you said that was the and, one final thing but we what? We, we, well, we still have to give the music credit and all that, too. So. Yeah. Um, Why don't do you that? do that, Eric? I, I'm too out of it. Yeah, right you're now. fried. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and lightning round through the rest of this so that other people can go to bed, too, if they need to. So the music you hear <laughs> in this podcast is Welcome to the End, as performed by Cell Dweller from their debut self-titled album, which you can get at Fixed Music. Um, that's F-I-X-T. Just do a search for it in Google. I don't have the website up in front of me right now, but uh, you can check it out there and get the rest of Cell Dwellers music because it's awesome. And remember, all trademarks are owned by their respective owners, so please don't sue us. We're poor. That's it, and until next time, take care, everybody. How was that? Was that good? That was perfect. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs>